Tulsi Maharani Kija, Samaveta Bhaktarinda Kija, Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Goranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachani Nivasis and Nivani Paskachalis Tani. Vande Ham Shri Guru Shri Utah Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavascha. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Bitam Sam Sajiva. Sadvaitam Sadvajutam Padijana Saita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Vita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Soho Street Temple, London, England. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 25, Duryodhana Humiliated. Texts 18 to 22. 22 is on the board. Let's start with 18. Sasamrad Ratam Aruda Saasvan Rukma Malinam the emperor mounted upon his chariot, drawn by excellent horses wearing golden colors, appeared splendid in the company of his wives, just like the brilliant Rajasuya sacrifice surrounded by its various rituals. Report. King Yudhisthira with his queens appeared like the personified Rajasuya sacrifice surrounded by its beautiful rituals. Text 19. The priest led the king through the execution of the final rituals of Patni, Samyaja, and Avaritta. Then they had him and Queen Draupadi sip water for purification and bathe in the Ganges. Text 20. The kettle drums of the gods resounded along with those of human beings. Demigods, sages, forefathers, and humans all poured down showers of flowers. All the citizens belonging to the various orders of Varna and Ashrama then bathed in that place. What place? Where even the most grievous sinner can immediately be freed from all sinful reactions. Text 22, which is on the board. Atarajaha take shame. Paridaya swa. Paridaya Swalankrita Ritviksadasya Vipradin Anachabar Anabarai Anachabar Anabarai Atarajahatakshama Atarajahatakshama Aridaya Svalankrita 
Vig Sadasya Vipadin, Vig Sadasya Vipadin, Anarcha Baranama, Anarcha Baranam Barai, Anarcha Baranam Alankrita, nicely ornamented, Ritvik, the priests, Sadashya, the officiating members of the assembly, Vipra, the Brahmanas, Adin, and others, Anarcha, he worshipped, Abharana, with ornaments, Ambarai, and clothing. Translation and purport. Next, the king put on new silken garments and adorned himself with fine jewelry. He then honored the priests, assembly officials, learned brahmanas, and other guests by presenting them with ornaments and clothing. Purport. Srila Prabhupada writes, The king not only dressed himself and decorated himself, but he also gave clothing and ornaments to all the priests and to the others who had participated in the yajyas. In this way, he worshipped them all. So here Maharaj Yudhisthira is, as part of the Rajasuya sacrifice, not only taking care of himself, but also giving in charity. And this is a natural human instinct, yes, to help others to give in charity. I mean, we even find the description of the demons in the 16th chapter, where they say, I will give in charity, right? I will perform some sacrifice, I will give in charity, and thus I shall rejoice. So even the demons, right? We find even in the modern society that criminals, organized crime, will also often give in charity, yes? It's a natural inclination of the human being to want to give. First of all, we like to give to our family, to our friends, to people that we care about, and we also like to give to those who are less fortunate than ourselves. In fact, that's very satisfying to do that. And what rasa is giving charity part of? Does anyone know? Of the 12 rasas? Hmm? Well, that's a good guess. But it's specifically a subcategory <coughs> of one of the rasas. 
chivalry. You think about a chivalrous person. Uh, we think about maybe the King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, chivalrous persons. So they didn't just fight out of chivalry, they also gave charity. They were very righteous as well, correct? A chivalrous person is also a very generous person. And uh, this charity is also particularly given by the kings, like Maharaj Yudhisthira Somya, the, the emperor. And one of the aspects of being a king is that you give very generously in charity. In fact, that's one of the things that gives pleasure, especially to very wealthy people. And they can give a lot of money in charity. So all of us like to give, yes? It's, it's one of the things that, that gives us happiness. Again, it's one of the rasas. It's one of the rasas to give. And uh, now with uh, the internet and social media, one of the things that's happening is a profusion of charity. There's becoming so many internet sites, you know, give to this thing, give to that thing, people raising money that's, you know, somebody has cancer and somebody's this and somebody's that. And, and people, there's, there's a tremendous amount of money being given in charity. And of course, we might wonder as devotees of Krishna, what is our position with giving charity? Here we have this example of Maharaj Yudhisthira. This is one of the questions. It's not one of perhaps the main questions that comes up. It's not one of the top questions. You know, the top questions are more, how do I chant with attention? How do I get along with my wife or husband or something like that? Those are some of the top questions that people ask. Uh, but it's certainly a, a very dominant question. Who do I give to? How do I give? What's proper charity? What isn't proper charity? What is, is charity going to entangle me? Is it not? Is it something mundane? Is it something spiritual? What do I do? What kind of charity do we encourage? And, of course, the first thing that we want to think about is that charity is not just money. Often we think of charity, we think, well, that means giving money. That means I'm going to give somebody some pounds. But what else could you give in charity besides money? You could be doing some service, which is perhaps why you thought about Dasya. So you could be giving your time. Volunteering your time is as much giving in charity as giving money. In fact, for most of us, unless we've gotten our money through a gift or an inheritance, they're very equivalent because for most people the money they have is a result of their time. If you get paid, you know, whatever it is, 30 pounds an hour, somebody's getting paid 30 pounds an hour, then if they give 30 pounds, they've given an hour of their time. It's, it's equivalent, right? And if somebody's giving an hour of their time, it's equivalent to giving 30 pounds if you'd have to pay somebody that much for that amount of work. So in addition to giving money, charity can also mean giving your time especially if you're giving not only your time, but your expertise. So let's say you're an architect by profession, and then you do some architectural work for free. Do you understand how it's the same as giving money? If somebody would have to pay a thousand pounds to hire an architect, and you give your architectural work for free, right? Lawyers often do this kind of thing, where they'll give their work for free to defend somebody who's too poor to defend themselves. Pro bono work, they call that. So that's also giving in charity. What else can you give in charity? Money, your time, what else? Food. Food. You can definitely also give food in charity. And again, 
You could say that's somewhat equivalent to money, because food has to be purchased with money, unless you have a farm, in which case you're producing the food with time and effort rather than money. Uh, but many people prefer to give food directly rather than to give money. So instead of going to poor people or homeless people and giving them money, people often prefer to give them food directly. Uh, sometimes we do that because we're afraid if we give them money they won't spend it properly. But if we give them food, we know that they're there eating it. What else, can, what else could you do in charity? Money, time, food, what else? Knowledge. Knowledge. You could definitely give knowledge in charity. Now, in a sense, that's very similar to giving your time and expertise. But it's, it's a very specific thing. So you're giving not just your time and expertise, but you're giving your advice and you're giving your knowledge with somebody. And often that's worth quite a lot. I mean, people out in the business world regularly pay a tremendous amount of money for knowledge. <coughs> in fact, it's, it's one of the most valuable commodities that's being traded in the world. There are people in the world who, for one hour of speaking, are paid 250,000 pounds. Yes, you know about that. There are people like that. They're commissioned to talk, to talk for one hour, and they're being paid a quarter of a million pounds. Just imagine. So giving what to speak of, of course, the knowledge that we're giving, transcendental knowledge, and how valuable is that? That's a lot more valuable than knowledge about how to earn more money in your business or, or something of that nature. Okay, what else could you give in charity? Excuse me? Shelter. Shelter. All right, you can have somebody stay in your home, a part of your home in charity. What else could you give? Clothes. Clothes. So things. You can give things. Uh, gifts can also be charity. I mean, and the government understands that also. If somebody <coughs> donates a car to the temple or somebody donates clothes to the temple, they can write that off as a tax, tax um, they get a tax credit for that as much as if they gave cash. And many people prefer to give things in the same way that many people prefer to give food because then you know exactly what it's going for. You know, if I know, if I, if I go out and, and give, get the pipes, then I know it's going for the pipes, but if I just give you the money, maybe you won't spend it on the pipes, maybe you'll spend it on something else. And sometimes people give, char give charity indeed by like saying, okay, there's gonna be this construction work, I'll pay the construction man directly. You know, when we were doing our children's books, we had some people who paid the artists directly. So although we got a lot of donations, I mean, I, I calculated for the books, we got about $120,000 worth of donations, but only about 15000 of it went through my hands. Because a lot of it people pay directly. They'll say, okay, I'll, I'll take this to the printer and I'll get it printed, and they pay the printer. Or a lot of people, a lot of that was people volunteering their time. You know, I had one person who said, okay, I'm going to do all the layout for free, you know, you calculate how much it's going to cost somebody, how much it would cost to pay someone to do layout. Uh, so often people donate like that, but when you look at the, at the total value of it, uh, we just had somebody create a video for our project where we clean around Radhakun, Shamakun, Govardhan, we restore the holy places, you know, restore the buildings and do painting and murals, we feed the widows, and I like that. Uh, hopefully we're going to be building a, a kitchen pretty soon. So one devotee who's a professional uh, videographer, he volunteered his time to make a video. 
And then I asked him, you know, we're still doing the final editing, but I asked him when it was over, so how much do you normally get paid an hour? And he said, I normally get paid $150 an hour. And we figured out that he had donated $16,000 worth of his time to make the video. So, you know, I said, well, thank you for giving a $16,000 donation. I said, I think you're the biggest donor yet to the project. Uh, so he was very happy. Uh, of course, sometimes we don't think like that. I, I think when we're giving charity, we tend to think about all those different kinds of charity, don't we? If I'm giving charity, if I'm giving my knowledge, or I'm giving my time, or I'm giving my shoes, or I'm giving the bed in my house, we think of that just as much as money. In fact, we might think of that as more valuable than money. If we're giving knowledge that we've accumulated over 20, 30 years, we may think of that as much more valuable than giving a thousand pounds. But sometimes when we're receiving it, it's not like that, isn't it? You know, I, there was a, a controversy uh, in one temple, I don't want to get into the specific details, but a controversy over a, a plaque, a thank you plaque put up in that temple for one devotee who had done 25 years of service there. And one of the authorities complained, okay, well, we don't, this person may have a philosophy that's not exactly our philosophy. So do we really want to have a plaque thanking this person for their 25 years of service. And I wrote, where many temples, I said, many temples put up plaques for people who give money, yes? So many, many temples, there are permanent metal plaques for people who give money, and nobody asks what their philosophy is. Nobody says, well, what, what does this person have a philosophy we agree with, or... You know, what are they doing at 9 o'clock at night? I said, what's the difference between giving time and giving money? There really isn't any difference. And the complaint stopped. But it's, I often see like that, that when we receive charity that's not in the form of cash, we often don't really value it. I mean, I was uh, working with one committee in the movement where the members of the committee had 10 to 20 years of experience in the field that we were doing, and 10 to 20 years of highly successful experience. I mean, they were really the, the top experts and professionals in their field with experience in the Hare Krishna movement. And after them flying to the meeting at their own expense and giving their expertise freely, the people who had asked them to come disregarded all of the advice that they gave. And I said to the people organizing things, you know, these are people with ten, between 10 to 20 years of expertise where if you had to pay for their expertise, you know, you'd be paying each of them probably at least $10,000. Plus, you'd be expected to pay for the cost of their ticket and, and so forth and so on. And the person in charge didn't, it didn't mean anything to him. You know, well, they're, they're just volunteers, you know. They're just, so sometimes we think like that, that, oh, if someone's a volunteer, they're not worth anything. If somebody gives 10,000 pounds, that's worth something. But if somebody volunteers 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week for a year, oh, they're just a volunteer. They're not worth anything. And you can see that this is a source of some tension often. Because the person giving, the person giving in charity often considers their time and their expertise to be more valuable than their money. And the person receiving often considers money 
to be more valuable than time and expertise. And after my experience with the Learn to Read books, I, I really broadened my idea of what does it mean to give charity, and I saw that often you can accomplish more with people doing volunteer labor and giving things and giving expertise than you can with just people giving money. Sometimes you get a whole lot of money, but if you don't have the good people, it's worthless. And in fact, in the business world, they always say, first the people. First get good people. Good people is far, far, far more important than a lot of money. If you have a tremendous amount of money and you don't have any good people, it's not worth anything. And if you have great people, then even if you don't have a lot of money, it doesn't matter. And we think about the early days of ISKCON when we had very little money. I mean, we really had very little money. We were all sleeping on sleeping bags on the floor. We ate off sheets of wax paper. We didn't even have plates. We just bought some uh, strip of polycotton cloth that we cut into pieces and everybody wore that. You know, we were very poor. But we spread the movement all over the world. Why? Because we were all so dedicated. Everybody was dedicating seven days a week. And, and people with high energy and high dedication. And it didn't matter that we didn't have a lot of money. You know, we, the movement was spread in London initially before George Harrison got involved with his money. It was spread just by people living at, in cardboard boxes on the street because they had no place to live. <laughs> um, but still, they were able to have the Hare Krishna chant startles London make the headlines in the newspaper. All right, so those are different kinds of charity. And we really, when we're talking about charity, we're talking about all these kinds of charity. Now, who should give charity? Who should give charity? Well, in Bhagavad Gita 16, 1 through 3, where Krishna lists the divine qualities, Srila Prabhupada, in that purport, talks about each of those qualities in relationship to a varna, an ashram. And here we have, of course, also um, in text 20. One, where it says Varnashrama. So here Maharaj Yudhisthira is giving charity to all the, uh, everyone in each of the Varna and each of the ashrams. But in the Bhagavad Gita verse in 16, 1-3, Prabhupada is talking more about those who give rather than those who receive. Of course, charity can be understood both ways. And as far as giving, who is supposed to be giving charity out of the uh, Varnas and ashrams? Who in the ashram is supposed to particularly be giving charity? The grahastas. In fact, this giving of charity is the main dharma for the grahastas. Charity and sacrifice is the main dharma for the grahastas. And what are the two kinds of charity that the grahastas are supposed to give? Well, all the kinds that we talked about. Right? Giving money, giving time, giving your expertise, giving goods. And one more that we didn't talk about. Cows, well, we, although cows are obviously not things, I think we could put them in the category of things. We talked about food. That would be food and shelter, which we talked about. Children. Children! Uh, so the two main charity that the grahastas are supposed to give to society is honestly earned wealth, which can be given in all the forms we talked about. We talked about it given in the form of money, in the form of time, in the form of sharing your knowledge and expertise, 
in the form of goods, which would include land and cows, in the form of food, in the form of shelter, but also one is supposed to produce good children. The grahasta's charity is to give good children because what is the uh, when you enter the grahasta ashram? What are the two things that you want to enjoy in the grahasta ashram? Sex and money. Yes, that's why one enters the grahasta ashram. One wants to have sex and money, gross sex, subtle sex. One wants to have property and so forth. So that's exactly what you're supposed to give in charity. You know, modern society they don't get this idea at all. Of course, modern society, people don't even get married anymore. You know, they want to have sex and money without even getting married. I mean, the, the minimum is that you sacrifice for the person that you're married to. That's the, the bare minimum, that you share your wealth with your family, right? And you, you share your sex life with another person to whom you're taking some responsibility, not solitary sex or some person that you just meet for a night. So this, this sort of idea of that whatever I enjoy, I also have to give. But beyond the family, you're supposed to give to the society. So that means you're supposed to have children who are going to be uh, worthy in society. You're not having the children just for you to enjoy. You know, you're not having the children just so you can send photographs to your relatives and <coughs> so your children can support you in their old age or you, know, you can say how well they did in school or something like that. You're supposed to be training them up to be good citizens that will benefit all of human society. And one is supposed to be earning wealth that will also benefit society, to earn wealth in an honest way. So charity is almost exclusively given by the householders because the rest of society isn't, uh, isn't producing something. Of course, especially the Vanaprastas and the sannyasis are supposed to be giving the charity of knowledge the charity of knowledge, the charity of their expertise, and also they're giving the charity of time. Time. So the grahastas, uh, they can give 50%. So the grahastas, it's understood, they can work 50% for themselves and their family. But the vanaprastas and the sannyasis, they're supposed to be giving 100% to the society. They're giving 100% to the society. And the brahmacharis, of course, are students. So the traditional brahmachari ashram, that means children and teenagers. So, of course, they're preparing for their future life. Uh, they don't really have the dharma of charity. The brahmacharis are collecting charity to give to the guru, but they're not so much. They're, they're preparing to give. huh? So the brahmacharis are preparing either for the grahasta ashram or the vanaprastha leading to sannyasa ashram. So they're preparing to be givers. Of course, they're giving to the guru, that the brahmachari is supposed to be serving the guru in exchange uh, for the knowledge. But we don't expect children to be giving much, do we? We expect them to be preparing. All right, then what about among the varnas? Who's the, the big charity giver among the varnas? The kshatriyas? And the Vaishyas. Now, the Vaishyas are giving wealth that they generate. The Vaishyas are producing wealth. Are the Kshatriyas producing wealth? No. They're collecting and redistributing in the form of taxes or rent. The only people producing wealth are the Vaishyas. So, but the Kshatriyas are your big-time money redistributors. They're doing it on a grand scale. I know, if they're a small Kshatriya, then they're just a little landlord of an apartment building, and, you know, and then it's a very small scale. 
they're collecting the rent and they're <coughs> distributing it to their tenants in the form of services in the building. So it's, it's on a very, very small scale. But, you know, someone who's the mayor of a town or what to speak of the prime minister of a country, they're doing a huge amount of money collecting and money redistribution. And then who else distributes charity? Of course, shudras are also expected to distribute charity, but on a much smaller scale. Um, generally, you're not going to have as many wealthy shudras. Uh, why don't you have as many wealthy shudras? Any idea? Yeah, and, and they tend to spend the money very quickly. Shudras um, don't have much long-term planning, generally. We, we see this on book distribution. People who get paid on a Friday and they're broke on a Monday. So those sort of people don't tend to give, unless you really, unless you catch them on a Friday, they don't tend to give that much to charity. <laughs> so that's the, the main tendency of the shudras. It's the mode of passion and the mode of goodness that inspires somebody more to plan ahead. And, you know, the Vaishas are interested in accumulating wealth, and the Satriyas have to take care of provision for the, the country. But the Shudras will often give, like we have musicians who do a charity concert, so they'll often give their talents and their expertise. And, of course, there are some very, very wealthy Shudras who do give vast amounts of charity. And what about the Brahmanas? It's one of the occupational duties of the Brahmana, is to collect charity and to give in charity. Uh, the Brahmanas are generally going to be giving their charity for religious activities, whereas the Kshatriyas are giving their charity across a bar broad spectrum. So the Kshatriyas, as government, they're going to be giving their charity you know, to give people shelter, to give people food and water and medical care and education. Think about government. You know, so government is, is like the big mother and father supporting the whole society. So government is going to be giving charity across the spectrum of material and spiritual, as well as the Vaishas are going to be doing that, and the Shudras, particularly the Satyas, whereas the Brahmanas are mostly concerned with spiritual charity. And the Brahmanas' mood is generally, although there are some very wealthy Brahmanas described in the Shastra, but generally the Brahmanas take what they need and they distribute the rest in charity. Now, generally, householders in any of the Varnas are not supposed to live on charity. Generally speaking, the people who live on charity are the Vanaprastas and the sannyasis, and of course the brahmacharis who collect charity and give it to the guru. So indirectly, the Brahmin householder who's a teacher is living on charity in that way. And there's many strict rules about the grahasta brahmana who's living on charity. The only one of the four varnas who's allowed to live on charity as a, as a grahasta is the brahmana, but there's many strict rules I, which I doubt that many of our Brahmin grahastas in ISKCON follow. Uh, we don't, most of us don't follow all the rules of our ashram. Like I was just reading in the third canto that the sannyasi is not supposed to have any home, you know, by the strict Varnashram rules. But even Mahaprabhu had a room in Gambira where he stayed. Uh, so anyway, the, the Brahmana grahasta who lives on charity strictly by the Vedic rules wouldn't keep anything for the next day. You know, whatever they get that day, if they can't use it that day, they redistribute it. They don't have any kind of stock. Whereas generally, the grahasas are supposed to keep something. Like when Hari Saripu was traveling with Srila Prabhupada, one time he needed a new dhoti, and Prabhupada, he bought himself a new dhoti, and Prabhupada said, how did you get the dhoti? He said, well, I bought it myself. And Prabhupada said, no, no, you have to save your money for emergencies. And Prabhupada bought him the dhoti. So the grahasas are supposed to save at least 25% for emergencies. They're supposed to have a stock of grain 
but those who are living on charity are not supposed to keep any stock. Again, these are not things that we really follow strictly at the present time. Uh, it wouldn't be very practical. Just like the Vanaprasta isn't supposed to have any source of income. So people have asked me, well, now I'm retiring, I get a pension. You know, should I get a pension? Or one devotee who retired got some rental property as an inheritance from her family, and that's how it allows her to live. She said, should I renounce my rental, rental property? I said, no, definitely not. Uh, although, Vanaprasta, technically, you're supposed to be renouncing your job, so just, you don't have to take these things uh, literally. But in Bhagavad Gita 18.5, Krishna says, who should perform charity? Who should give in charity? Everybody! He says, penance, sacrifice, and charity should never be given up because they purify the great souls. So if someone's thinking, well, charity is the main dharma for a householder, so now that I'm renounced, I'm not going to give in charity anymore. No, Krishna says, it doesn't matter how renounced you are, how austere you are, how, whatever you are, whoever you are, austerity, penance, and charity should never be given up. They're purifying even for the great souls. So, and because, why? Because this is part of the Sanatan Dharma. It's, this is, charity is not just a material Dharma. But giving is part of our natural Dharma, to serve, right? Again, how you were saying charity was dasiras. This idea of serving others, it's, it's part of who we are, it's part of the, the soul. There's no question of stopping giving. I mean, who's the biggest charity giver? Krishna. Krishna. He's giving everybody in charity all the time. And we, as part of Krishna, are also a charity giver. So the main benefits of giving charity, we already mentioned purification. Why does it purify us to give in charity? It detaches us from our own possessions. It detaches us from our own possessions. That's another one that's detachment. Sacrifice. It's a kind of sacrifice. And Sarvagatam Brahma, Nitya Yagya Pratistitam, that the absolute truth is always found in sacrifice. But there, Krishna's differentiating in 18.5 sacrifice, penance, charity. So although you could say they're all very related, charity is a kind of sacrifice. Sacrifice may be a kind of penance, penance may be a kind of sacrifice, and so forth and so on but specifically as, as a separate category. Why is charity purifying? Yes. Because um, by giving in charity, we're learning how to give to others rather than being selfish. We're, we're giving oh. selflessness. That is very beautiful. And in fact, that is the, the root of our material disease is selfishness. The root of our material disease is me-centered. Everything's about me. Everything's meant for me. And charity is exactly the opposite. What am I giving in charity? I'm giving something that I put some effort into, generally. Generally, not necessarily. Sometimes somebody gives me a gift and I immediately turn around and just give it to somebody else. So there was no effort involved except the slight movement of my hands. So, you know, sometimes that happens. But generally, we're giving in charity sometimes that we put some effort into. Bhaktiram Yagatapasan, this is a relationship to sacrifice. It's not the sacrifice itself that I'm giving. I'm giving the result of the sacrifice. So Krishna is the enjoyer of all sacrifices. We tend to think I'm the enjoyer of the sacrifice. And charity is, I've sacrificed, but you're enjoying it. 
I've worked, but this money that I earn by working, I'm giving to you. Or this time that I could be using to amuse myself and entertain myself and please myself, I'm giving instead to please you. This knowledge and expertise which I could be using to overlord the world, I'm giving to you. Uh, also, Srila Prabhupada told Jamuna, he said, everything you've learned from cooking, you should share with others, or else you'll become, you know what he said you'll become? You don't share it with others? Envious. Envious. Isn't that fascinating? Because what is our tendency in this world? I want to have something that you don't have. I want to have something more than you. I want to have something you don't have. I want to be have more physical attractiveness than you. I want to have more money than you. I want to have more knowledge than you. I want to have a bigger house than you, a more attractive spouse than you, a higher position than you, something. You know, we're happy for other people to have money as long as it's not quite as much as we have. Right? We, we, we want to have some more. And this is envy. This is envy. That everyone else has to have a little less than I have. If you have the same or more, then, I, then either I want it, or at least I don't want you to have it. Right? I think the ultimate envy is even if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it. That's like a lower grade of envy is, okay, let me take it from you. But even worse than that is, you know, let nobody have it. We'll just throw it in the ocean. Nobody can enjoy it. Right? This was... Um, when Saddam Hussein's army attacked Kuwait and they just burned the oil uselessly. Remember that? In the Kuwaiti war? They just set fire to the, to the oil. So it just burned. You know, when they were retreating. Okay, we can't have it. Nobody can have it. Or, you know, Hitler's last uh, order, which thankfully for the Germans wasn't followed where he told the generals, okay, we're going to lose, destroy Germany ourselves, so that when the, when the conquerors come in, there won't be anything for them. You know, well, there won't be anything for your own people either. Oh, well, better, you know, better than none of the conquerors have it, and thankfully the generals at the time uh, didn't obey that order. But this is envy, and this applies to even our knowledge. You know, I know more than you, and I want to know more than you. So sharing what we have, sharing whatever it is, our time, our money, our expertise, our goods, is a cure for envy. Especially if you actually give uh, someone in charity more. And then another very interesting result of charity, which Krishna explains in Bhagavad Gita uh, 12.12. He says, karma palatyaga twajat shantir anantaram. So karma means your activities. Pala means... Results are fruit. Tyaga. Renunciation. Karma pala tyaga. When you give up the fruits of your work. Twajat shantir anantaram. What does anantaram mean? Anta means end. At the end of that renunciation, shantir, you find? Peace. Peace. Why do you think that giving up in charity brings peace? You were saying detachment. Why does giving in charity bring peace and detachment? Yes? Uh, because uh, distress is born from material desire of, from the, of the mind. Yeah. What are we in anxiety about? Yoga kshema. What I have and what I don't yet have. I'm in anxiety about my stuff. 
My stuff doesn't just mean my phone, my coat, my shoes, my car, my house. But it also means my relationships. You know, are people going to like me? Maybe they won't like me anymore. It means my knowledge. It means my abilities. All these things that I have. And then the things I don't yet have. The things that I want. You know, the better car, the better phone, the relationship with that attractive person. Yoga Kshema. And this is Sochati Kanchati. And I'm always hankering and lamenting. Hankering and lamenting. When will I get that? When will I get that? When will I get that? Oh, how can I protect this? And Krishna says in 2.45, near Yoga Kshema Atmavan, don't be absorbed in this hankering and lamenting. Be absorbed in the self. Why? Yoga Kshema Vaham Yaham, 9.26. It's not 26, maybe 923. Yoga I'm taking care of all that. And what happens when you give in charity? You get the mentality of Krishna's taking care of it, right? Why do people hoard? You know, sometimes you have these compulsive hoarders where their whole house is full of stuff. And when they die, even their relatives don't want to take care of it. They hire somebody. You know, I visited somebody's house like that once where there was just this little tiny path to walk through in the room, you know. A little, little teeny tiny path in between all of the mail and all the magazines just to get to their room. And, you know, hardly enough room on the bed to lie down and sleep. And I was thinking, oh my God, when she dies, what are her daughters going to do with all this stuff? So why do people do that? This might happen, that might happen, this might happen. I might want it. I might need it. You know, I, I helped one devotee clean out their desk once and they had unopened mail that was three years old. Well, maybe I'll need it. So yoga shame of Bahamut Krishna's gonna take care. I mean, just think about the traditional Brahmanagrasta who didn't even keep for the next day. Actually it was just hearing the eleventh canto that the renunciate who lives on charity shouldn't even keep for the afternoon. Not only not for the next day. If they get food in the morning, they only take what they can eat that morning. They don't save anything for the afternoon. Again, it's not that we have to... It's not that if you give me some sandwiches to take on the flight that I say, no, I can't take it because I won't eat it till the afternoon. But that was the principle of that. That giving in charity helps us to remember that Krishna's taking care of me that I don't have to put all my anxiety in, it brings you there for peace. Giving away something that you really don't need now, or it's excessive, or even some things that you would like to have because somebody's in greater need, it brings you peace that Krishna will take care of me. Krishna will take care of me. And in fact, you know, there's injunctions in the Vedas that if you give in charity, you'll get back that equal amount in your next life. And if you give to a worthy person, you get ten times more. You know, if you give to a pure devotee, you get back unlimited more. Just put that away. Unless you want me to take it. So I had a very interesting experience once. There was a, a traveling preacher who came through a temple where I was staying. And he was traveling with two other people. And he said, this temple doesn't pay for airfare. You know, it's always some temples pay and some temples don't. He said, this temple doesn't pay for airfare. And if anybody can help me with the airfare. And I thought, well, I know what that's about. You know, I know what's about to go to temples where, where they don't give you anything. So later on, I gave him a, a donation of $50. And then the next day, somebody gave me a donation of $500. I said, oh, that's how it works. 
<laughs> but that's actually that's actually the system in the universe. And giving in charity, you have that faith. You have that faith, you know, that if I give to others who need it, that Krishna will also take care of me. I mean, I was in some circumstance also where some devotee was really in need of something, and I could I could understand the need. It was something that I could relate to. And I just went to that devotee and I said, you know, well, someone someone gave me a donation I can just give to you. you know, and I, I gave to her. And she looked at me and she said, are you sure you can give this? And I said, no, I'm, I'm confident that I'll get it back. And I see that it actually works that way. You know, it actually works that way. I mean, it may not always be like the fruit seller. You give Krishna the fruit and your baskets filled with jewels and you give Krishna the grain of rice and you come home to a palace. But when you take when you take care of others, Krishna takes care of you. So that you become very detached, you become very peaceful. That I don't need to always be worrying about myself. I don't need to always be worrying about accumulating for myself and hoarding and keeping and having more and more. They say no matter how much money people have, they always want at least ten percent more. You never get to a point. You know, okay, now I've got 10 million, okay, now I'm satisfied. It doesn't work like that. I could lose it, I could lose it, what about this? So in charity, you become peaceful. You become peaceful. Okay, Krishna's given me so much, let me also give. You get free from envy, you get purified, and you become peaceful. And the qualities of peace that are explained in the Bhagavad Gita are wonderful, which we don't have time to read right now. But right after 12.12, where Krishna says, this karmapalatyaga twaja shantir anantaram at the, at the end of renunciation of the fruits of work comes peace. He then describes the qualities of peace in 13 through 20. He says, one who's not disturbed by anyone, one who doesn't cause difficulty to anyone, one who's equal poised in heat and cold, happiness and distress, honor and... Wouldn't that be nice? If we weren't affected by our external circumstances, if somebody criticizing us didn't put us into anxiety... Right? And those are the qualities of peace which are attained by Karmapala Tiaga. So I thought also we'd very, very briefly look at charity in the modes and charity in bhakti. Because now that we know the benefits of charity, we might ask, okay, well, who do I give charity to and how do I give them charity? Because it matters. The benefits of charity are not equally distributed uh, regardless of who you give to or in what mood you give to. So if we want to get these full benefits of purification and peace, etc., then we want to give charity in bhakti. Okay, so let's look here in 1720. Charity given out of duty, without expectation of return, at the proper time and place, and to a worthy person, is in the mode of goodness. So first of all, to a worthy person. <coughs> Choosing a worthy recipient, not just giving, not just giving blindly, right? Not just giving to someone who's going to use it to buy drugs or buy guns or something like that. And then proper time and place. This fascinates me. A lot of what differentiates whether something's in goodness, passion, and ignorance is whether the time and place are proper. It's important. Choosing the right time and the right place to give. Good charity given to the right person, but at the wrong time in the wrong place, knocks it out of the mode of goodness. And then out of duty. This duty shouldn't be misunderstood. Often when we hear duty, we think it, we actually identify it with the mode of passion, a sense of obligation. We talked the other day about feelings of obligation and feelings of force. 
Those are very much part of the mode of ignorance and the mode of passion. Here, by a sense of duty, it means just because it's the right thing to do. Because I want to do the right thing, because I want to be properly situated. This out of duty is very much because it will bring me peace. Because it will bring me detachment. It's not the right thing to do in terms of other people think I should do it and I'm going to impress other people or it'll help me with my obligations. Not, not that kind of duty. But as a soul, as a part of God, as a spiritual being, the proper thing for me to do is to give in charity. That's what I'm meant to do. It's my dharma. It's my nature. It's, I'll be in my element. I'll be properly situated. That's what we mean by duty. <coughs> then 21, this fascinates me very much. This charity and mode of passion. Charity performed with the expectation of some return. Oh, just going back a minute, but to goodness. This not expecting some return is very much this concept of duty. It's just the right thing to do. I'm not doing it for some, you know, I'm not giving $50 because I figure someone will give me 500 tomorrow. I'm giving because it's, it's, it's what I want to do. It's what I should do. It's, it's how the universe is designed. Okay. So then in the mode of passion, charity performing the expectation of some return or with a desire for fruit of results or in a grudging mood is said to be charity in the mode of passion. So this is all about motive. It's still a worthy person, my dear friends, and it's still the right time and the right place. So you still have the worthy person, charity in the mode of passion, it's the right person, it's the right time, it's the right place, but the mood is wrong. You're thinking, I'm doing this to get something. I'm going to give my time to the temple so I'll get some prasadam. I'm going to give my time to the temple so other people will praise me. Praise is a really big thing in the mode of passion. So other people say, oh, what a good charitable person that you are. So I'll get my plaque up in the temple. And this grudging mood, Prabhupada explains here, he says, a charity is sometimes performed for elevation to the heavenly kingdom and sometimes with great trouble and with repentance afterwards. Why have I spent so much in this way? So sometimes people do this. Oh, I gave the best years of my life to the temple. Why did I do that? I could have been doing this. That's charity in the mode of passion. Charity is also sometimes given under some obligation at the request of a superior. These kinds of charity are the mode of passion. So this relates to what we talked about the other day in terms of force. So if we're someone superior and we say, okay, okay, you know, you're supposed to volunteer your time now. You're supposed to give this now. You're supposed to surrender this now. And somebody does it, not because they want to, but because we have some power over them. That's charity in the mode of passion. And sometimes we even encourage that. I said, you know, when I was studying this many, many years ago, about 15 years ago, and I was thinking, sometimes we encourage this charity in the mode of passion. Please give to the temple and you'll get your name up on a plaque. You know, you really should do this, or you'll get a free room, or that's all charity in the mode of passion. And it's not elevating for the person giving it. So just because it's the right person and just because it's the right time and place doesn't automatically make it transcendental or even in the mode of goodness. And charity in the mode of ignorance, now we have impure place, improper time, unworthy person. So now we have the externals are wrong. So in passion and goodness, both of them have the externals right. But passion and internal mood is wrong. In ignorance, they're both wrong. Without proper attention and respect, so, here you go, here's your money. <laughs> you know? So if you're giving to the right person at the right time in the right place, but, and not only do you have a bad internal mood, 
I don't want to do this. My guru told me how to do it. My father told me how to do it. Okay, I'm going to do it. That's the mode of passion, but at least you're smiling. Here you go. <laughs> but the mode of ignorance, you're externally. Yeah, I don't want to be doing this. I'm just doing this because I have to. And that's mode of ignorance. And also, if you're giving to the wrong person, even with respect. So, you know, you're just giving to the bum on the street who's going to buy drugs with it. You're distributing meat. And even if you're doing it here, this is for you. You know, so that's the mode of ignorance. And then, transcendental charity. So in Transcendental Charity, I happen to be reading through the Nectar Devotion right now as part of my regular reading, and I just happen to be reading this section on, uh, at the very end, so I'm reading the section on this, uh, the rasa of chivalry, and as we said, one of the subcategories of the rasa of chivalry is charity. And there Prabhupada says, giving charity to satisfy Krishna makes you steady in bhakti. And if you're not intending to satisfy Krishna, it's just pious. So this is a, a higher level of motivation, right? In the mode of ignorance, you might be motivated to help the person, but you're helping the wrong person. In the mode of passion, you're helping the right person, but your motives are wrong. You're doing it for prestige, or you're doing it for some return, or you're doing it out of force and fear of somebody's power. In the mode of goodness, you're giving to the right person the right time and right place. And your motive is for your own balance. Your motive is for your, I want to be in balance. I want to be in equilibrium in the universe. I want to find peace. I want to find detachment. I want to find purification. still all about me, isn't it? Right? Interesting. But in bhakti, you want Krishna to be satisfied. So something like, you know, you can be worshipping the deity, hoping that the devotees in the temple are watching. Right? <laughs> okay? So, but in this case, you're giving charity hoping that Krishna's watching. And we all know how to do that. We all know how to do something where the thing that we're doing isn't what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to impress somebody else. Yes? Everybody knows how to do that? You've all done that in your life? So we should be always doing that with Krishna. Krishna's watching and I'm trying to impress him. So that makes it bhakti. That's what turns it into bhakti. Not only that it's a worthy person, not only that it's a proper time and place, not only that I'm not doing it out of fear or obligation, and I'm not doing it, you know, to try to get something back, but I want Krishna to be smiling. My mood is, is Krishna smiling at this charity that I'm giving? By the way, my dear friends, if one does that, then one doesn't have this regret and resentment afterwards. And if there's regret and resentment afterwards, that's a clear indication that we gave for the wrong person's satisfaction. <coughs> Oh, I gave so much to my family, they didn't appreciate it. I worked so hard for the temple, they didn't appreciate it. You know, we hear this a lot. We hear this a lot. I remember many, many years ago, I mediated something here in Soho like that, where the temple authorities said, we gave everything to these devotees, but they didn't reciprocate. And the devotees said, we gave everything to the temple, and they didn't reciprocate. So this kind, it's very, very, very common. You know, I gave everything to my guru, and my guru didn't reciprocate. You hear this a lot. So if ever we think like that, if ever we have this resentment and bitterness, then we have the wrong object. You know, it should be that whether or not Krishna's pleased. So that makes it bhakti. And Prabhupada said that makes one steady in bhakti. That brings one's, one's to nista. And then going above even nista, going to prema, Prabhupada describes giving everything to Krishna, wanting nothing in return. 
Real love of Krishna is when Krishna is the recipient of charity and the devotee is the giver. Does that mean you have to give everything to the deities? Can you also give to the devotees? Yes. In fact, you can even give to people in general. Are we giving knowledge to people in general? Well, the people are not devotees, right? Isn't, are we right at the verge of the marathon? Aren't we going to be going out and spending our time, our energy? Isn't that a tremendous charity that we're doing? Even though we collect money for the books still. I mean, is the money we collect for the books anywhere equal to the amount that we're giving? In terms of our time and our energy, what to speak of the knowledge that we're giving? Is there at all equal? Who's giving the charity here? We are, right? We're giving that to the people in general. But we're really giving it not to the people in general. We're really giving it to Krishna. That Krishna will be pleased bringing all these souls to him. I would give so much food to the people in general and so much. Uh, some other examples are Nanda Maharaj giving in charity when Krishna was born. And any of the six loving exchanges, uh, they each have, they're all giving and taking of charity, right? And then, of course, we have this example here in today's verse where the king is giving, he's giving to the Ritviks, the Sadas, the Vipras. He's giving to everybody. The priests, the Brahmanas, everybody who's involved, he's giving. Why is he giving them? To satisfy Krishna. And I thought I'd, I'd read something really nice also from the second of Nectar Devotion uh, 46, because it's completely related to today's <coughs> verse. When Maharaj Yudhisthira went with Krishna in the arena of the Rajasriya sacrifices, this is the, again the end of the sacrifice, in his imagination, now I find this fascinating. Um, I'm always fascinated by Manasa uh, service. You know, when the Radhalandanishwar were installed here, that there wasn't all full facility to worship them. And therefore, Srila Prabhupada instructed Jamuna in Manasa Puja that in addition to offering things physically, she would offer, also offer things mentally. And I remember at the 40th anniversary, I talked to her about it. Sometimes she talked about it publicly also. So was Maharaj here physically, literally giving a lot of charity at the Rajasthya? Yes? Yes, we're just reading about that in today's verse. And of course, when Krishna was offered the first worship, he was also giving. But here, it says, when Maharaj Yudhisthira went with Krishna in the arena of the Rajasthya sacrifice, in his imagination... He began to anoint the body of Krishna with sandalwood paste. He gave him a garland in his imagination, hanging down to his knees. In his imagination, he gave him garments covered with gold embroidery and ornaments bedecked with valuable jewels. He gave Krishna in his imagination fully decorated elephants, chariots, and horses. He further wished to give Krishna in charity his kingdom, his family, and his personal self also. So he's just walking with Krishna. He's, just, he's walking there in the Rajasudhyaya with Krishna. But mentally, mentally, he's giving Krishna sandalwood paste. He's giving him clothing with gold embroidery. He's giving Krishna jewelry. He's giving Krishna decorated elephants and chariots and horses. He's giving Krishna his family, Manasadehageya. Right? He's giving Krishna himself. After so desiring, when there was nothing actually to give in charity, Maharaj Yudhisthira became very perturbed and anxious. So this was, of course, ecstatic anxiety. Well, I don't actually have anything to give him. <laughs> well, that was just, I want to give him more, I want to give him more, I want to give him more. So this is so nice, because even if we don't have a lot to give in charity, even if we have very little wealth, maybe there's only five pounds in our pocket, Maybe we don't have very much knowledge. 
you know, maybe we don't even know where Australia is on the map. Maybe we don't have very many, much expertise. Maybe we can only do unskilled labor. Maybe we don't have a lot of possessions. Maybe we only have one cardboard box, you know, full of three doties. <laughs> maybe we don't even have much time. Maybe we're so busy with all the things in our life, we don't have much time. But we can still give mentally. Now, not that one should only give mentally if one has everything else. Right? I always <laughs> tell the story before the internet. There was this uh, one, a devotee magazine that had personal ads in the magazine, you know, looking for a husband, looking for a wife. People talk about their good qualities. And one man advertised, he said, my favorite service is sleeping and dreaming about doing service for Krishna's. I don't think he got a very good wife from that one. So, you know, if you have millions of pounds, it's not that you should simply give Krishna jewelry in, your, in our imagination. But whatever we give, we can augment mentally. No matter how much, you know, just like I know one devotee in one temple who's a pujari, and whenever she dresses the deities, after physically dressing the deities, she then mentally dresses them. She mentally adds, she especially likes to give Radharani a mental necklace every day. So she mentally adds something with real diamonds. You know, Prabhupada said we shouldn't use real jewels in our temples or it would attract thieves. But mentally, you can give the deities, you know, the half a million pound neck pearl necklace we saw in Bahrain. So you can give that to one, even if you can't do it physically. So this is very nice, this example Maharaj Yudhisthira is giving us of giving charity. This is, of course, one of the six loving, it's actually all the six loving exchanges and something that, as Krishna says, no matter who one is, that one should never give up, that it purifies even the great souls. And therefore, it is a very essential principle and practice of our Krishna conscious <coughs> process. So I'm not going to go for very late. I've already gone a little bit late. Just take maybe one or two quick questions and then we'll Yes. I was very inspired by the entire class, but one question in particular comes to mind from my personal experience. Okay. When we are, when our service is rejected for some reason, uh, <coughs> when we offer our, our service, our skills, and then, and then later we realize that actually the person really wanted uh, money, mm-hmm. and that was more appreciated and, and we are hurt. And, um, if we re- if we take a distance from the organization or a place where uh, this happened, is it uh, out of pride or sh- should we come back? Uh, if invited, or it generally means I have the wrong shelter. When when I feel hurt and disappointed when people won't take what I'm offering, then generally it means I have the wrong shelter that I was offering for the pleasure <coughs> of the wrong persons. Sometimes it could mean that my offering was very contaminated. But there was some kind of contamination, probably of Rajagun. Probably of Rajagun. Because in Rajagun, you're, you're looking for some sort of external reciprocation on the material level. And when you don't get it, you become hurt and disappointed and distanced. So generally, that was what... Of course, we should be practical. If somebody doesn't want what I have to offer, then you offer it someplace else. I mean, that, that's just a practical thing. But if a devotee says, like, you're a perfect person for this place and we want you here, and then it, it happens, in, after a few months it actually happens that it's not a really good combination, should we in the future consider serving at this place? Or, or well, it depends. If the place is exactly the same with exactly the same people and you're exactly the same, probably not. If you've changed or they've changed, then maybe. 
you know, yeah, we should be intelligent. I mean, we, we should give charity when we say to a worthy person at a proper time and place. That's part of the mode of goodness. So by worthy person, it doesn't just mean somebody who's very spiritually elevated. It also means somebody who's going to accept what we're giving, doesn't it? Jesus says, don't throw your pearls before swine because they'll just trample it. And we have, of course, one of the offenses on chanting is not to preach the glories of the holy name to the faithless. If you have something to give and somebody's not willing to receive, trying to force them to receive it is, is definitely also in the mode of passion or in the mode of ignorance even. It's part of the worthiness of the person is there has to be a match. You know, I remember somebody that gave me a beautiful, handmade, gorgeous, incredibly warm, wonderful winter coat that was huge and thick as I was getting into a car going to the airport. And if you know how I live, I live with one little bag and I couldn't use this. I had no way to use it. And because they gave it to me in the car going on the way to the airport, I didn't even have an opportunity to give it to another devotee. And they had handmade it. They had handmade it and traveled four hours by train. They had made it for me without asking me if I wanted it or needed it. And then they had traveled four hours by train to meet me and give it to me. And I couldn't use it. And I didn't even have anyone to give it to. So instead of that gift causing me happiness, what did it cause me? Great distress. So in that case, I wasn't a worthy person, was I? Was I a worthy person? Was it the proper time and place? If we're trying to force our gifts on somebody, that is ignorance or passion. You know, if you got the wrong person, wrong time, wrong place, you're in ignorance. That's not ignorance. And if you're looking for some return, that's passion. Those verses about charity and the modes and charity and bhakti, I mean, understanding that would solve so many of our problems. We have so many problems in our Hare Krishna movement of encouraging people to give in passion. And ourselves thinking that giving in passion or even sometimes giving in ignorance is bhakti. It's really a problem. And if we understand charity more broadly than just money, it becomes a lot clearer. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. Yes. Um. If we, if we have like strong personal motivation for doing devotional service, should we uproot these desires as early as possible, or should we just like purify those desires by allowing them to remain and just continue doing devotional service? You cannot uproot your material desires. <laughs> you won't be able to do it. Uh, even though a human being is stronger and more intelligent than a lump of earth, if the lump of earth is formed into bricks and created by, in a prison house by the government, then that's stronger than you because it has the power of the government. Material nature is stronger than we are. You cannot uproot it. What you can do, we talked about this, um, when was I here last? When I was gave the evening seminar upstairs. So we talked about that if you want. Maybe you can get a recording of it. But the way we uproot the material desires is that we fill ourselves with spiritual desires. And as we fill ourselves with spiritual desires in Krishna's service, then Krishna reveals to us the nature of our material desires. He shows us, Ganadi, Pain, and Bhashvita, side by side, spirit and matter, and then you have to choose. And when you choose, Krishna uproots it. Srimpatam Swakata, Krishna, Pranishravan, Tasta, Badra, Nivijina, Jitsu, So, 
start getting spiritual personal motivations. So, but for example, if we're doing some service that we think will make us, uh, you know, it will improve some skill or something like that. That's wonderful. It's one of the qualities of a devotee to become expert. It's one of the 26 qualities of a devotee. Just like if you're working in the kitchen, do you want a sharp knife? Is that material? Do you want to sharpen the knife you use? Now, if you, want to sh- if you want to become expert so you can make a lot of money and impress people and enjoy the world and have a big house. And all. But if you want to become expert so you can cut, so you can be a sharp knife in your service. It's one of the 26 qualities of a devotee. In fact, Prabhupada specifically in Mumbai in 76 gave that as one of the essential principles of the Brahmacharya training all the devotees to become expert. He said, all, he, Prabhupada equated the Brahmacharya in the temple to a Gurukula. He gave it a, almost a complete equivalence. And he said, the, in the Brahmacharya in the Gurukula, that one is supposed to get trained in values of life along with specific training for a livelihood. So all students should get to have some specific area and Prabhupada in these lectures on the Brahmacharya. If you really want to know about, about training, I would really suggest listening to those 76 lectures on the seventh canto about the Brahmacharya Ashram and Gurukula. Prabhupada said all the Brahmacharis should know something of everything and everything of something. Something of everything and everything of something. So that's part of our duty to Krishna, become expert. Do you think Krishna wants a bunch of bungling fools for his servants? I mean, what use would that be? So Krishna's talking to Radharani there. He says, see, see my, my dear, see my priya, see all of my servants. Well, what kind of servants do you have? They're all idiots. None of them know how to do anything. He says, here, this person's really expert in dressing me. This person's really expert in cooking. This person's really expert in management. This person's really expert in cleaning. This person's really expert at their relationships with the other people. And Prabhupada said, everyone has some extraordinary talent, and to serve Krishna with one's extraordinary talent means successful life. The best thing to give in charity, also, I was just hearing this in the 11th canto, where Krishna was telling to Uddhava, the best thing to give in charity is that which is the most dear to you, and that which is you get the most pleasure out of. So the area in which you take the most pleasure, you give that area of expertise to Krishna. Is that all right? Thank you very much, Shri Prabhupada. So, devotees, do you